Hello and welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crowell and today I'm joined by three familiar voices, faces, Paul Third, Callum Law and Andy Skinner. How are we folks? Uh, we're okay. Aye. Licking our wounds but we're getting there. Yeah, so obviously we will have to touch today on Scotland's Euros exit, a little bit of chat about campaign as a whole and what we think maybe went wrong and undeniably a step forward for the national team though I would say but we'll also discuss most importantly Aberdeen they're back in pre-season training as are our other teams but Don's for a decent week a couple of sign-ins and manager back in the country speaking to the press for the first time in a while finding out their European draw but there's also news from other our other clubs as well namely Cove Rangers we announced a big piece of business this morning but yes we'll start with Scotland 3-1 defeat to Croatia meant they ended their group D campaign bottom of the group one point one goal guys I know we're all delighted to just be there and it's been brilliant being at the major tournament being part of the party but end of the day I think possibly tactics and profligacy in front of goal cost the Scots didn't it? I wouldn't disagree with that I think as I've said before there's there's levels to this to this game and if you look at the final placings in the group it's gone in order of where the respective countries are in the world rankings and that tells you we've done pretty much what was expected we've uh, given England a bloody nose in their own backyard and come up just short in the other two games at home, and that's been firmly the Scottish way in my whole life. I think we um, we just we we're not quite good enough in that in that final third, and I think we've got a tendency to give away a sloppy goal here and there, and you just can't do that in the finals of major tournaments. As as we've seen, you get you get picked off and you get punished. Just focusing on last night's game for me, the. Tar- the well, the formation principally in the way we went we went about it was all wrong, all wrong. And this isn't being an after timer. Watching a game after fifteen or twenty minutes, you could see that we were being totally overrun in the middle of the park. Modric, Kovacic, and Brozovic had probably one of the easiest nights of their international career. W- with the three, I know it's the formation we favoured. The three five two, but for me, at the very least, by half time that had to be changed last night because they were Croatia were playing with one striker and two wide men. We the two wide men pinned our wing backs back. We were then left in a situation where if their full backs came forward, they always had a spare man in the midfield. It was like a, I felt sorry for John McGinn, Stuart Armstrong, and Carl McGregor because. They didn't. It was a thankless task trying to press Croatia's midfield and trying to make a game of it in the middle of the park when they were always outnumbered. And for me, it should have been whether we went four four two or four three three. It should have been changed to a back four and McTomney pushed into the middle of the park to play on Luka Modric because that and that's the other thing that baffled me about it. Every, they've got other great players, Perisic, Kovacic, whoever, but Luka Modric is the guy that makes Croatia tick. Everything goes through him. Every time they get the ball, they're looking to get him on it. Why did we not play with somebody on him 
man marking him. Yes, he's a great player. He would have still got on the ball and might have hurt us. But if you've somebody's job is to try and stop him playing, it surely at least makes it more difficult for him. There's a lot to kind of reflect on just in terms of the, the tactics of it, but I can't escape the feeling that uh, Croatia probably would have triumphed last night regardless. Um, I mean, the notion that they were coming into that as a, a team that had been struggling in the, the opening stages of the tournament um, was very quickly dispelled. They, they just looked up for it and in the, the groove from the very start. Um, and Modric obviously being the, the key component of that, that three-man midfield, but you know Brozovic and Kovacic as well um, just pulled the strings and you know, even if Scotland had got a bit closer to them, I'm I'm really not sure if we we would have had the the answer to it. Um, when you look at the the clubs that those three are playing for, you've got a Real Madrid player, a Chelsea player, and a Inter Milan player. Um, you know, Croatia had been in the the World Cup final at the last major tournament as well. I I, I just think that uh, as as Paul alluded to to begin with, we were coming up against. You know, a top-class side as as we have done in in all three games, and it's it's a new experience in uh, in trying to kind of come up with a, an answer to that in uh, tournament football, which uh, you know is one that we've we've learnt the hard way from. But uh, hopefully, there's a, a bright future ahead from here. I, I take your point on that, Andy. But I was just gonna the, what I was saying about changing things. We saw like Croatia played well; they're a great side, fair play to them. We saw how easy it was for them, particularly in that second half, how easy it was for them to play around about us. At least, to me anyway, at least change something and make it a bit harder for them. If they're still beating us and Modric still scores a wonder goal, whatever else, hold your hands up and we were the lowest ranked side in the group who finished bottom, fair enough. But I just thought it was so e- like it was so easy for them with this rigid approach of we are going to go out and play 3-5-2 and play this way regardless of what the opposition do like sometimes especially when you're playing against better quality opposition you've got to stop them playing first and even if you look at the England game that's what we did for to large for large parts of the game was stop them playing but we, we weren't able to to do that at all last night knowing how good Modric is is one thing being able to stop him when he's in that kind of form, I think, is in an altogether more difficult manner. And I know what you're saying, Callum, about we should have had somebody try to man-mark him or just stay with him. But I'm looking at that Scotland team. In fact, I look at that Scotland squad, I'm not sure we've got that kind of guy in the team. I really don't. McTominay, maybe, but I don't know if he's got the all-round engine to be that guy for, for 90 minutes. And we needed him at the back because of what was happening. I just... I don't. I, I just think we lost to a very good side, but some of the goals we gave away were so cheap. I agree, Paul. And I think fundamentally, for me, it all comes back to that first game against the Czech Republic. If we turned up in that game and we'd managed to to win it, then for me, it becomes a lot easier. And it would have been a lot easier for us to qualify. I think we're on a hide and nothing relying on getting results against England and Croatia straight off the bat. Um, And also, it should be said that regardless of how good Croatia were last night and regardless of how good Czech Republic might have been at certain points in the game and against England as well, how many chances do Scotland need to score one goal? Because we must be the ratio must be something like 40 chances 
to one goal. Um, the amount we managed to put away, I think that's a big thing. If we're going to progress, and we're going to stay that keep getting to major tournaments. We need to find from somewhere a striker that can put the ball in the back of the net. You m- mentioned the Czech Republic game, Ryan. If you go back to that game, there was one clear difference between them and us. They had a top-class finish. I know one of the goals you can say it's a freak, whatever, but they had a top-class finisher and Patrick Schick and we didn't have anybody. And as to where that person comes from, and again, this is easy to say after the event, but I, sp- I thought it when the squad was announced, despite everything, I would have still had Lee Griffiths in my squad. He's the only natural clinical goal scorer, natural finisher that we have at our disposal that's good enough to play at international level. And I know he's, there's been various issues and people questioning his fitness, but if he'd come on even as a sub in the Czech game or last night or against England, I think we would have put the ball in the back of the net more often. Lyndon Dykes, Che Adams, they do a lot of positive work. Their hold-up, link-up play is very good, but neither of them is a natural goal scorer. And that, that's, the, that's the bottom line for me. Right, okay, we've done 10 minutes of uh, mourning would be the best way possible to put it, but we'll move on now to the stuff that really matters, club football and the build-up towards the new season. There is great pride in being a Scotland supporter. Win, lose or draw, the saltire flies, the songs are sung, the hand and roar will be heard. But what was it like in the old days? The days of the huge crowds and the vast hand and bowl before it was all seated. If you're old enough, you'll remember. In our new book, We Had a Dream, Scotland Internationals in the Black and White Era, will remind you of those great days. If you're younger, this is the history. This is what the great days looked like. Those days are gone now, but these memories are also dearly held. There are photos in this book that will stir the dark blue heart. Photos of Bremner. Baxter, Law and Johnston in the days when they strode the hand and turf before crowds of 120 or 130,000 fans. If you remember those days, this book will take you back to those days. If you want to know what it means to be a Scotland supporter, then you'll need this book to show you, not just tell you, what it means to be a Scotland supporter. As one of our podcast listeners, you can get an exclusive 15% discount on We Had A Dream at DC Thompson Shop dot co dot uk using the code dream15 at checkout that's d-r-e-a-m-1-5 at the checkout of dcthompsonshop.co.uk check the episode notes for details and terms was like us okay so starting with Aberdeen where we always tend to start they're back in pre-season training, it's been a, a big week for them. Obviously, we had the manager, I think, return to return to the country or finish his quarantine last week. Paul, you can maybe keep me right on that. But well, Saturday, had... he was finally a free agent. I think he had to let him out. <laughs> a cool. free man, should I say? And then over the course of the last few days, we've had him adding Henry Appleu, uh, one of his former mates from Atlanta United, to his coaching staff, as well as completing the long-expected signing of Jack Gar who came from where? You guessed it, Atlanta United, on a one-year deal. He's a right-back. So, 
Paul, I think first of all, starting with Jack Gar, it it is one of these signings that strikes you as odd, given that there's a right back on loan at Atlanta United from Aberdeen, who scored in the Copa America uh, in the last few days, Roland Hernandez. But do we think Jack Gar's? Do we, do we think he's going to be good enough, first of all? Do we think Stephen Glass seems to think he's got the right energy to get up and down the line the way he wants to play? That's a two-part question. Ronald Hernandez is a, an enigma in himself. He can't get a game for Atlanta United either, to be fair. Yeah, here he is popping up with injury time equalisers for his country in the Copa America. I just I can't get my head around anything to do with, with that lad so far. Uh, as for Jack Gurr, the short answer is... I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. We haven't seen him. Um, he's, he talks a good game from his interview he did with the, the club TV. He likes to get up and down the line. He likes to get balls in the box. He fancies himself as a decent defender as well. He was came through the ranks and worked with Glass before Glass took over the first team as in an interim role last season. He was then promoted to the first team squad himself in March, but um, I think family circumstances have maybe led to him returning back back to Britain and that's led to Aberdeen coming in for him. I mean, he, what is he, 25? It is interesting. He's, he's come through a different path. He's not gone through the traditional, I suppose, college scene that you have in the States to get there. He has been over there a, a while though. So we'll just have to wait and see what um, what this guy brings to the table. We honestly, don't, we don't know. We don't know. We'll just have to wait till the games are up and running to see. Before I ask you this next question, Aberdeen obviously found out their draw for the second qualifying round of the Europa Conference League. They've drawn BK Haken from Sweden. Um, they're not having the best of starts to their season. I think they were their rock bottom of the Swedish Swedish Allsvenskan. I almost said Swedish there, but uh, I think I pulled it back. Uh, you spoke to Sion Glass after the draw. It's the first time you spoke to him in a while. What was he saying about the tie coming up, I think it's July 22nd and 29th the legs are, first ones at home. And yeah, what else did he have to say for himself about pre-season plans and the season itself? Come well, in, t- in terms of pre-season, everything is going to be taking place at Cormac Park, including friendlies. Um, we're still waiting to hear whether we'll be able to go and cover any of them, I suspect not. But hey, we'll see. Um, let's be optimistic. and We're waiting for the club to confirm. In terms of Aberdeen's build-up, they came back on Monday and I think they're all in reasonable shape from what we're hearing. And they're looking to get the ball out early and get going with the style of play that the manager wants to implement. He's obviously got all his coaching staff by his side now with Apalu, Scott Brown, and Alan there. So with Mr. Russell on board, I'm hoping that'll be the strikers with Scott Brown there. That'll be the midfield and Henry Apple, who I'm hoping is defence with uh, Stephen Glass looking over it all and alongside Gordon Marshall, obviously, with the goalkeepers. All eyes are firmly towards BK Hacking in that first game. We don't know an awful lot about them. They've just come back and played a friendly at the weekend, I think, after a, a three-week break. They have a new manager. They're bottom of the table after eight games. As we know, there's no easy games. We've seen Aberdeen go to Luxembourg and come unstuck before, so I'm certainly not going to be treating a, a trip to Sweden with a, any degree of confidence. It's it's going to be a tough game for them against a side who are up and running. I know Stephen Glass is saying that's no excuse. We're expected to win this, but it is always a slight different 
difference when you've got a club who are coming out from cold storage after a couple of months off against another team that will have been back having played a couple of competitive league matches before they even come to Pitaudry. So, yeah, it's a tough start. So much for the Conference League being a, a cakewalk. I think you just need to look at some of the other names in this competition to see it's going to be every bit as tough as the Europa League has been for Aberdeen. Not to be a, a pessimist, but I think I'm uh, of the opinion that this is going to be an extremely difficult tie for Aberdeen. Perhaps a tie. I, I know that uh, I've seen other people saying that like they'll be similar to Viking from Norway that they played last season. But their start to the season aside, BK Haken, they've got must have something like 500 international caps across the, all the Sweden internationals and the Finnish guy, the defender that's at the, the Euros at the moment. They've got. An artificial surface. They're in their season. I just do you not think it's a bit of a banana skin? I don't even want to call it that. I, I think it's like it looks like a real challenging I, I, um, I do. proposition. I, I I agree completely. I think when you look at their recent European record, the ten, they've been Europa League competitors as well, and second, third qualifying rounds. So it's pretty much on a par with what Aberdeen have done under Derek McInnes previously. So I I, I don't see this being a straightforward, two-legged cruise for the Dons by any stretch of the imagination. I think they need to win at Pitaudry because it's going to be a real test when they go over to Sweden for that second leg on the 29th. Without without wishing to be rather downcast, but uh, I always think with these, Steve, I suppose it's slightly different because uh, Stephen Glass has obviously been in at the, the tail end of last season, but you sort of feel like this season, obviously, new signings and things is the, the sort of new era beginning. And I think the last thing you want really with that is a sort of demoralising European result that uh, sort of drains the confidence and the sort of optimism. I mean, maybe going over the top here, but if you look back to the beginning of the Mark McGee era and the uh, 5-1 chasing at home to... Sigma Aluminuch, if that's uh, the way you pronounce it, apologies if it's not. I mean, that was just, in terms of like starting a season and starting a new era, that was just the the nightmare uh, beginning. So I hope for Aberdeen's sake it isn't the case. And uh, to, on a lighter note, I hope it, this tie doesn't allow any uh, scope for headlines like uh, Swedes won, Neeps nil, or that sort of thing. So uh, any Tuchters out there will uh, lap that sort of patter up, I'm sure, as well. <laughs> <laughs> the Tuchters have been catered for, but the Sigma Olomouc fans have been sorely let down. Anyway, let's move on to Ross County and Inverness, up in the north of the country. So, Andy... Right and saying, quite a quite a quiet time for Ross County at the moment. Doesn't appear to be much happened in the last week. Inverness is a totally different kettle of fish, but starting with County, am I right? Very much so. It has been quiet. Um, I mean, County like Aberdeen are back pre-season training. They um, they had a couple of sort of fitness tests towards the the end of last week, along with all the COVID testing that needs to be done before players and staff uh, report to the training ground and. Um, like the Dons, I think they got the the balls out on on Monday. So ah. they're um, <laughs> the football's out on Monday. Um, so it uh, yeah, they're back underway, but uh, only one new signing in so far in Ross Callahan. And you know, with the 
number of players that they they released, um, amounting to ten or so. You know, they'll definitely be having to to flesh out the, the sort of the, the mini games and drills that they're they're doing in training by you know looking to their youth team. They they signed up a, a number of young players: Matthew Wright, Adam McKinnon, Ben Williamson, and the likes. So, um, you know, it's it's clear that there's still a, a lot of work to be done on that front. Melky Mackay was talking last week about you know biding his time to to make sure that he he gets the right uh, players in. He's he's made a a bit of a reshuffle to his backroom team, which uh, involves um, Enda Barron overseeing recruitment and uh, data analysis. So I think that there's going to be a fresh approach at County um, as regards to bringing players in. Um, and they're, they're maybe just taking their time to to make sure that, uh, you know, they've got a, a settled squad that can, can hit the ground running come the beginning of the season. In Ernesto, it's when I, the polar opposite week there took gone totally against the grain and brought in two former Ross County players, um, and Michael Gardine and Billy McKay. We don't see that happening too often, um, and they've also brought in Reese McAleer as well. Is that how I say it, Andy? Reese McAleer, I think. Okay, we'll work on that as the season progresses. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, I, no, there, there is uh, you know, there's familiarity with some of the players they've brought in. Um, Gardine and and Mackay are, are two that uh, Mackay especially they know from having been on their side of the the Keswick Bridge. Um, Gardine's been a, a a tormentor in their side over you know many seasons. Um, as I touched on in a, a comment piece that I did about you know the Gardine signing in particular, I mean this this move. Um, a player can make between the two clubs is nothing new. It's happened umpteen times and increasingly so, if anything, over the the recent years. But the Gardine one, one does feel a, a little bit different, just because he's got that, that that complete association with County. It's the the one club that you you think of him as as representing. Um, he's their most decorated player, club record goal scorer, appearance holder. Um, you know, he's achieved massive success across. His various different spells there, and and is loved by the county fans. But um, there's obviously a pre-existing relationship there with Billy Dodds um, from his time at County uh, when Jim McIntyre was in charge. And you know, it's a move that has clearly got Gardine quite excited about. You know, the prospect of of trying to push for for promotion uh, from the Championship. The um, the other signings they've made, Reese McAleer, seems highly rated. Um, still only 19, he'd been at Norwich City for a couple of seasons, having been brought uh, down the road by from from Motherwell, but has uh, kind of struggled to to break into the Norwich team so far. Um, maybe understandable given his age, but just the one senior appearance for him so far. Um, so I think he'll be looking to to try and gain a bit of first team experience in the the heart of Inverness's midfield. And then the other signing they've made is Manny Duku, who. Uh, spent last season with Wraith Rovers and uh, part of a, a side that did really well, particularly the opening half of the season um, from, from Duku's point of view. Um, he, he was really quite prolific uh, for John McGlynn's side. The goals dried up a wee bit towards the, the end of the season, but he's certainly regarded as being a, a really physical outlet that will perhaps be a, a really good foil for, for Billy Mackay as well. Um, be interesting to see how Billy Dodds approaches, uh, you know, his his shape and his system. 
Um, I'm, I'm sure there will be an emphasis on, you know, the likes of Gardine and Tom Walsh who have come in supplying, you know, a lot of uh, firepower for for Duku and, and Mackay up front. But, you know, he's got different options now and it was important to address that issue after losing the, you know, the, the goals and assists that, that came through the, the departures of uh, Nikolai Todorov and Danny Mackay. I mean, obviously, Inverness have been fortunate that two players of Michael Garden and Billy Mackay's pedigree have become available in their part of the world. Um, you know how difficult it is to get players to go up there, but the players are already, you know, used to playing for teams in that neck of the woods. But it really feels, regardless, that Inverness are going for this next season. I think they've got a friendly tonight, don't they? Against Clatnacurran, is that That's right? That's correct, then, yeah, yeah. Will we get a sort of, do you think we'll get an initial sense of how these signings might pan out, or do we think it's too early for that? I think going by previous experiences of, you know, how Inverness have gone about pre-season, you know, the first few games against some of the Highland League teams do tend to be more of a, a kind of a fitness exercise and the, you know, the team might change quite a lot as the, the game goes on. Um, it, it'll just be more a case of, of, you know, trying to build up the the minutes to to be able to hit the you know the ninety minute mark for for a lot of these players, and they won't be ready to do that uh, tonight. You know, I think it'll it'll come over the you know the next week or so as they they look towards the start of that Betfred Cup or Premier Sports Cup, I should be calling it now. Sorry, um, but I mean, used the- to Premier Sports. <laughs> There, there, there may be, um, you know, a good chance for Inverness to to see, you know, the sorts of positions that these players might occupy. But, um, yeah, I mean, it will will be interesting to see whether, you know, Dodds favours a, a two up front, or if, uh, um, you know, there will be one focal point with, with, you know, as I say, the the wide players trying to to supply deliveries. Um, either way, they've they've certainly got options, and I think. Billy Dodds, in his nature, will will look to impose an attacking style, and you know, with with some of this recruitment work, I think it's you know really quite exciting from an Inverness fan's point of view. Um, just a, a bit of a refresh to the the team uh, as they they look to try and seize upon this opportunity to 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 really you know make their their mark in that that top four, and you know the the chance being there for them now to. To really push for top spot because you know you've got a couple of clubs coming down. Kilmarnock have obviously um, reshuffled their side a, a fair bit, and you know Hamilton will be fancied as well. But without there being a, a standout team as there was with Hearts last season and Dundee United the year before, um, you, you do get the sense that if Inverness can strike it right from an early point in the season, then you know it could be a, a really special season for them. Okay, well, we will move on to what will be the final section of this week's podcast. We'll discuss a few developments in the lower leagues and below in the Highland League. Okay, so in this week's most surprising transfer coup, double transfer coup, I don't know how we would describe it, Cove Rangers this morning announced that they had landed um, Ross Draper and Ian Vigers obviously departed from Ross County at the end of last season in the Premiership and they've now moved to League One. I mean, it's just such a statement of intent, isn't it, from Cove that they're they're out to win League One this coming season? 
I th- I think so. It's I mean we're talking about two quality players, and let's be honest, we know what Cove Rangers are like. They'll be trying to keep a lid on it and play down their prospects and say, oh no, we're just looking after ourselves. We're we'll do as well as we do, and we won't be focusing on what other teams are doing. But if you're a Cove Rangers fan, you're looking at two Premiership players coming into your squad, thinking. We're having a real go this year by the looks of this, surely. I think the, the thing is as well, aside for just the, the quality of Ian Vigers and Ross Draper and their experience, if you look across Cove's team really, there's sort of a huge amount of competition to play regularly in just about every position. And I mean, Vigers and Draper obviously add to that. And any manager you speak to always sort of says... Uh, you know, that's what they're after because it can only really, healthy competition can only really drive standards even higher. So I think I think that's what Cove have got. And I mean, it's early stages, but at this stage you would expect them to be there or thereabouts again at the, at the top end of League One. I think, you know, you're looking at two players that have been premiership regulars. Um, you know, it's not as if they were really winding down as, you know, the, the weeks built up. Towards the the end of the season, they were both obviously released by Ross County, but you know an awful lot of fans would have quite happily kept both players on. You saw the impact from Ian Vigers when it mattered most on the final day of the season. The goal he scored down at Fair Park was outstanding, and you know Vigers is capable of those moments at any time. We've we've seen it constantly throughout the the Premiership years, um, both sides of the bridge. And as for Ross Draper, you, you know, when I look at, at the back, back at the last 10 years or so, I, you know, in terms of the, the role that he does in providing that shield for for a back four, um, you know, I can't really think of a player that's consistently done that, you know, more effectively really than, than Ross Draper in the, in the Premiership. I, I, obviously, it's going to be a different sort of role for him at Cove, who will be on the front foot a lot in League One, you'd think, and you know, we'll be dominating possession. But, you know, he showed, particularly during John Hughes' spell at uh, Inverness, that uh, he was perfectly capable of adapting to that and, you know, became really comfortable on the ball, allied to his physicality, which is an asset in, in any team, but uh, also a, a goal threat at times as well. Um as for a statement of intent, you know, it's it's just exactly the sort of exciting signings that, you know, any club in, in that league, um, you know, would look towards to to really get the juices flowing ahead of the, the new season. You do wonder where, where they'll fit in Cove's team and who, who has been playing regularly might miss out in the coming season. Might get a sense of that when they I understand they're playing Aberdeen. Paul, I um, don't know if you've seen that in... Pre, a pre-season that. friendly, so yeah. that should be that should be an interesting one if we get to see it. Um, Carl and Peterhead, they've obviously landed Lyle Cameron and Josh Mulligan again from Dundee on loan. Josh Mulligan, also, I think he only played once in the Betfred Cup, For, first ten Premier minutes Sports of the Cup. season, and that was it. Yeah, getting injured, but Lyle Cameron looked really good in the first half of the season before I think COVID put paid the second COVID shutdown put paid to his. Um, time at Peterhead, but they'll they'll be delighted surely to get them back. Uh, yeah, I think if everyone at Peterhead's quite ha- happy with the business. Really, I mean Josh Mulligan, firstly, is a sort of player that uh, 
Jim McAnally's been sort of desperate to to see what he could give them, and obviously uh, never really got the chance last season. He'd problems with his ankle, and he actually ended up having to have an operation. But he's uh, back to fitness now. When he was sort of training with Dundee, wasn't you know involved playing wise, but he was training with Dundee at the end of the season when they were involved in the playoffs. So he should be in a a reasonably good place. I think the big thing for him as well, partic- with him particularly when. Peterhead are looking at running with quite a tight squad again this season is his versatility because they seem to believe he could do a job for them either right back, centre back, right hand side of midfield or central midfield which is always uh, useful I guess when you've got a player who can sort of fill in in various positions like that and with Lyle Cameron uh, he was really a in terms of the sort of first few months of last season, you could make a case for him being their their player of that part of the season because he was really excellent and sort of archetypal tricky winger to a degree in terms of sort of always being willing to get on the ball and and try and run at people. They were, well, both parties actually, the player and Peterhead, were desperate to get him back for when the season resumed. But Dundee sort of felt they were a wee bit short of bodies at that time, so they kept hold of him and he was there for the the remainder of the season but he'll certainly um give Peterhead another another good option in the, the new season. There are probably too many contract extensions and signings being made in the Highland League at the moment for me to bore you by listing every single one would probably bored you enough. I think what um I was disappointed to see and I'm sure you guys agree was Nairn County having a cancel um, pre-season games because of a, a COVID outbreak at the club. I think it was four players, correct me if I'm wrong, who have tested positive for or have been ruled out at least with um, COVID-related um, issues. That's that's frustrating, isn't it, for Nairn, given that last season, um, right at the start, there was another sort of outbreak there that meant they didn't get to play games for a few weeks. It's frustrating for everyone. It's just also a reminder that that virus is still out there, I think. Um, we've just recorded the highest number of positive tests in a single day ever today in Scotland. So we've got a long way to go, and I know that it's going to be fraught for a lot of clubs in terms of actually getting games played, in terms of getting fans into the ground again. We've, it's still going to be baby steps. I know clubs are very much wanting to get up and at it again. And July, the middle of July, I think they're now all dreaming of 2,000 fans at the at the top level, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm still not so sure on that one yet. It was four people connected with Nairn County that have tested positive. And a, a further nine that have had to self-isolate on, on top of that as well, which is why their their friendlies were postponed. But, uh, the thing, obviously, I was going to come come in, sorry, and just say on Highland League business, Roth, uh, Rothus have obviously done a huge amount of business, but their four signings I thought were particularly interesting. Greg Morrison, who's left Barora, Shane Harkness, who was on loan at Rothis, but was released by Inverness, and then uh, Michael Finnis from Clach and Wayne McIntosh, who had also been at Clach. So uh, the latter two, two very uh, good Highland League players, hard, experienced, hardened Highland League players, and the Greg Morrison and Shane Harkness, sort of, well, two goal scorers, two 
sort of impressive attacking player. So I think we we could be seeing another uh, good season from Rothis potentially with the, the signings they've made allied to the the players they've kept at the club that were already there. The other thing I was going to raise, Callum, was and I think you've spoken to him, Strasby. We don't speak about them a lot on the podcast, um, which is which is our problem. But um, they've appointed Charlie Brown as their new manager. I believe they were struggling a little bit to get to get the quality of candidate, I suppose, in um, when they first put out the advert. But they appear to have got their man now, and they, based on what Donald McLeod appeared to say to you, that they appear to be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Well, that was I've spoken to Charlie and to Donnelly in the the uh, last week or so, and Donnelly was sort of uh, saying Charlie's sort of interest in the job even took him by surprise because he didn't really think uh, somebody of his caliber, if you like, as a player and a coach might be uh, after the job. But Charlie's decided he wants to take the plunge into into being a manager himself, and I mean it's quite a good. He said sort of the need maybe to try and bring in three or four experienced players, which is never easy, but uh, it's quite a good platform for Charlie, I think, for his first job. Strathbay, prior to sort of COVID and everything, were very much a club on the on the rise a wee bit. They'd got a bit more stability with Gordon Nicholson and Tommy Wilson there, and they would they finished 13th in the 2019-20 season, which is their best finish since they came into the Highland League. So there's been the signs of progress there. So I think uh, Char- Charlie's sort of looking to continue that on. I mean, both he and Strasbourg's committee are realistic. You know, they're not uh, perhaps one of the, the bigger spenders in the league and they're not expecting to be in the top four or the top six. But it's sort of... Uh, steady improvement and probably trying to get into the the top half and you know just continue the progress they've been on that I, I think they're after and I mean Charlie it's his first job in man as a manager but vastly experienced in the league as a, a player and a, a coach I mean mainly with Forrest he'd a couple of years at Bucky but he's had over 20 years at, at Forrest and he in his two spells there so I mean he's his knowledge, experience, contacts within the league are can as as good as you could ask for, really, in my opinion. So I, I hope he uh, does a good job for Swissby. Okay, well, I think that is it for Northern Goal this week. Um, don't worry, we'll be back with another episode soon. If you can't wait to listen to people stumbling over their words and trying to find the correct phrases, um, so. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this week's episode, you can email northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. You can like and subscribe on the podcast app that you favour. Um, thank you to Paul, Callum and Andy for joining me today. Cheers, guys. You're welcome. No thank bother. you. And finally, well, enjoy watching other countries in action. Um, just think it'll only be a quarter of a century until you can watch Scotland do it all over again. See you later. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.